0: Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. Hi there and welcome to Church Online. Great to have you again. And and of course, we'd love to uh, meet you face to face, but we do these messages deliberately online in a slightly different way to what we do in our church services, uh, meeting a different need of those watching on devices or in the lounge room. We're continuing this week on a theme we started last week called the Gospel Lens. And what we're trying to do here is really uh, show what it can look like as as we look at the whole of our life through the lens of the gospel. And not just the, uh, the simplistic gospel that we often hear about, about giving your life to Christ. That's part of it. That's the gospel of salvation. But the gospel of the kingdom. What does it look like to live in this gospel that Jesus preached of the whole kingdom, where we live by faith, we start by faith, and we finish by faith. And so last week we looked at uh, what the gospel of salvation itself is, the, the whole idea of redemption and the redemption bringing forth the deposit of the Holy Spirit. And, and what we talk about today is very much anchored in what we talked about in the last session. So if you haven't seen that, please look at that online. Because we talk about the fact that the redemption that we have in Christ results in us having the deposit of God's Spirit in us. And it's not just a, just a down payment, it's, it's His Spirit, it's Him. It's God personally within us. He takes His whole deal very personally. He's with us always now. And so Paul now goes on in Ephesians chapter 1, which is the book we're using to talk about how this gospel lens plays out in our life. It's written uh, a number of decades past uh, Jesus uh, ascending into heaven, and it's really starting to get into that phase of local church life where they're understanding the lifestyle of Christianity. And so Paul begins to flesh out, okay, here's where you've started. And now based on where you've started, here's where we can go. So we pick it up in Ephesians 1 verse 15. He says, For this reason, ever since I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He starts by saying, for this reason, and for this reason means based on what I've just said, based on the fact that you're redeemed, based on the fact that you have every spiritual blessing in Christ, based on the fact that the Spirit is residing in you. He's saying, for this reason, uh, I've never stopped thanking God for all that's happened in your life. And he's really saying that with all that has come before in the bank, in the spiritual bank, so to speak, I now, knowing that, I've now, I'm really... Continuing and striving and pushing through in prayer because starting so well and having such a home court advantage like that has implications that we can take hold of or we can choose not to take hold of. And so he's been asking God for a few things and we're going to get onto those in a moment. But before we talk about what he prayed for, it's really good for us to know why. Why did he write this book? Why did he pray what he's praying? Why does all this stuff matter so much to him? So I want to look at the context and the history a little bit. And if you pick up the story of the Ephesian church, it started in uh, Acts chapter 19, where at first a a man called Apollos comes in. Apollos is a great teacher and he brings the word of God. And people started to believe in what he was saying. Then he moved on and then Paul comes in and he asks them an interesting question. He says, uh, did you receive the spirit when you believed? Very fascinating question, and we could really sit down and just discuss that for the rest of this session. But what he's saying there is that you've got the word now. Okay, where's where's the life of the spirit that goes along with that? Because this issue for Paul of living in the word of God and the truth and the spirit of God, this is a hot topic for him. This is an important deal for him, because for Paul, he's his history had come from the word. He understood the word of God. He knew Scripture. He knew it back to front literally. And he knew what it was to live out a life for God. So he was, he was a man who was based in knowledge. He understood before he met Christ, he understood what it meant to live from the foundation of knowledge. He was also, before he met Christ, a man of what he would call works. So words and works. But his works, because there was no deposit of the Spirit in his life, he began to live out what he saw was important based on the way he perceived the lens that he was looking at Scripture, and so his works began to flesh out. He, he said, "I need to live up to the standard of the law, but not only that, I need to take those which I believe are opposed to what I'm reading here, and I'm going to oppose them to the point of death. I'm going to be prepared to kill these people if they don't adhere to what I think is true." This is what his idea of works looked like. It was absolute righteousness based on what we can do, and then this violence that came out of the judgmentalism that that formed, and so his. Is reasoning, and the reason this is such a topic to him is saying, If I know what it's like if God's people start to live purely from words and works without the Spirit in their life. And so we can look in the same uh, through the same lens at our life, our Western life in Queensland, in Australia, in the the churches that we find ourselves in. We are the lover of the Word of God, um, and we always should be. That's never under threat and we love knowledge. We we could say we're informed way beyond our level of obedience. We, We get so much content, we get so much teaching available and yet our character and our lifestyle can't keep up. But we love the Word of God and we also love the idea of the works, doing the works for God. We have social justice, we have all these causes that we'll wave placards for and things that we'll stick up for. And with that often comes, as it did for Paul, A sense of expectations, a a sense of self judgment, a sense of judgment on others who can't live up to the standards we adhere to, and so on. And so, we can actually draw a lot of parallels here between the thing that Paul wanted to avoid and the thing that in this day and age we're now confronting as well. We are a very strong and have been for decades now, uh, a Christian church in Queensland, Australia, that's very much words and works based. And they're fine, they're great, we'll never stop that. They're just inadequate. They're just not enough. And Paul knew that. And so he was determined with these guys at Ephesus. He says, great, you're saved now. And you understand words. You understand works. But how are we doing with the Spirit? Because you need more than just what you can produce through your own intellect and with your own strength. And so he goes on uh, to really flesh out why he's praying what he's praying. But let's just correlate it for a moment with what Jesus said to this same church, the church at Ephesus, Jesus wrote a letter in, a, in Revelation chapter 2. And so this is now 20, 30 years further on from the letter that Paul's written. So Paul's written the letter. Now Jesus, a generation later, writes his own letter. And he begins to confront what's going wrong there and what's going right there. Jesus says this, I know your deeds. I know your hard work and your perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked people. That you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and you have endured hardships for my name. You have not grown weary. See what he's saying there? He's saying you're working hard and you know what is true. You're persevering. You're pushing through. You are faithful and you know truth. And when you see error, you'll push it out from amongst you. He says that's good. So there's nothing wrong with that. It's admirable. So why is Paul getting so earnest about it, about all this? Uh, it's perhaps it's because of his own experience. Uh, of his life before a walk in the Spirit, he knew where this could end up. Um, With words, he became opinionated. He'd become violent. And he just knows that it isn't isn't enough. And Jesus goes down the same track in his uh, letter to the people at Ephesus. He goes on in the same breath. He says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. So Jesus is saying there, he said, you're doing the work, you you know the words, but you've lost your heart. Where's the wonder gone? There's a missing element in your life. And and Jesus is saying, look how far you've fallen. You can't just say this is a small part of your life with God gone. He's saying this is significant. This thing matters. Look how far you've, you've taken your Christian experience down by missing this intimacy, this love and this wonder of God. There needs to be this third element, faithfulness is admirable. It's just inadequate. And so Jesus is really spelling out in Revelation to this same church that Paul addressed, a life with only word and works is uh, unacceptable. It's unacceptable. He's saying you have the spirit in your life. How could you not form your whole life around that? You're already redeemed. You're positioned spiritually. You're empowered with this deposit of God in you. The next steps in your life are possible because of all that I've given you in that. So to ignore that is unacceptable. So now, can you understand the urgency of Paul's prayers to the church at Ephesus and, of course, to us? Let's have a look at what he prays in verse 17. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. He's saying that's what we need. We don't actually need more knowledge. We don't need more uh, good works and faithfulness and perseverance. They've got to be there, but you're doing okay. So what you need now is to know God better. A life uh, of words knows about God. Uh, He wants you to go even deeper than that to actually know him personally. Because I can know about God and I can still be detached. I can be unchanged. Paul knew all about God before he actually met Jesus on the road, or at least he thought he did. You know, I can go to Bible college, I can do six years of study, I can keep going on and on, and yet I can still remain addicted to the same things. I can still remain judgmental. Knowledge on its own is not enough. And so Paul's point as he begins to stir this up is to say, this life of God, you can't just conjure this up on your own. I'm praying that God himself would invade your space and open up your eyes to give you a new vision, a gospel vision of how the life that you live should be. Because I can know all about God in my own strength. It's called theology and we all love it. We've got to have it. But it limits me to what I can understand. And this God that we love is beyond our understanding. But to actually know him, Paul is saying, to know him better, you need the Holy Spirit to do that. We need revelation. We need need God to do something in our heart that opens us up to know more. So he says, this is the spirit of wisdom. He prays that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom. So it's a facet of what God does in our life. He's saying you need the Holy Spirit of wisdom to come into your life. And so wisdom is obviously different to knowledge. Now, Paul's praying that you would, we would know him better. But the word he uses for knowledge is different uh, to the knowledge that we have that is just information. Uh, he uses a word for knowledge that we would know him better. He's using the word epigenosis in Greek. Which means it's a dynamic, uh, it's a relational, ongoing experience. It's like Adam knew Eve. Um, it's it's closeness, it's, it's intimacy, it's real, as opposed to information, which is the Greek word oida, uh, it, which just means I can compile a whole heap of information that are that are just facts, but they don't necessarily change my life. They're not dynamic. They're not landing in my life. And so Paul's praying for a spirit of wisdom, and wisdom is the application of truth. It's saying, I know this stuff and now it's going to have an effect on my life. I apply it to my life. I understand these principles and the law and the scriptures and morality and I know how to live this out in my life in a way that not only transforms me but transforms the world. Because James says you can have worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom is based on information too. It's based on worldly information and it's living my life based on those values. But godly wisdom takes God's truth and can land it effectively in our life, just as Jesus did. So Paul's saying, I'm praying that the spirit of wisdom would take this information that you know and to land it. Proverbs 4 verse 5 says, The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Though it cost you all you have, get understanding. He's saying, let this real world relationships and priorities you have, let it be affected fundamentally by the word of God in your life. Let it change you uh, and let that change lead you to know God better, because that's his prayer. He wants us to know God better. And so he's praying that a spirit of wisdom would help us do that. It's saying the more you understand about God and then can land it in your life, somehow that leads you into a more dynamic relationship with him. So he goes on, he says, I pray that you have a spirit of wisdom, but also a spirit of revelation. Interesting word, revelation means to unveil, to reveal that which was hidden. And he's saying that revelation is spiritually granted. It's not man-made. You can't make this stuff up. If God's going to reveal stuff, it's got to be God alone. We can't figure this out with the human IQ. And the good thing about when God reveals something to his people is he tends to reveal it to all of us at once. If you're in a local church setting, that, that a revelation that one person becomes a revelation for all of us. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that the secret things belong to God, but the things He's revealed to His children belong to us and every generation after that. It's like saying once something's revealed, it belongs to us all. And so when God opens things up to us, which is what we need, He opens our eyes through the Spirit and that leads us into knowing Him even better. Let's have a look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 about this as Paul goes on. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. So there is a way that God communicates with us that is uniquely God's way. He just unveils, he reveals things to us. And this can be as simple as a moment where you're reading the Bible and uh, suddenly a text opens up to you and you, you can suddenly see, oh, I never understood that fully the way I, I understand it now. Sometimes you might be just having your, your quiet time or in your shower or, or whatever you, you're doing where you just suddenly God drops into your mind and understanding You think, man, I could never have thought that up. There are different ways that it happens and and, uh, it can even happen through overtly sort of supernatural manifestations as well. I'm remembering a time some years ago where I was in a church service and these sorts of things, uh, they're one of those uh, interesting God stories, if you like. it. They don't happen every day, but now and again through your life, these sorts of things happen. And I was in a room with a bunch of faithful believers, probably three or 400 people, having a great worship time there. And I was in the second row in the church and uh, just next to my wife, Tricia, we were sitting there and just worshiping away, standing, I beg your pardon. And then as I opened my eyes, in front of me, I saw an open Bible right about there. It was, a, it was like a, your standard-sized Bible opened up to what looked like about the middle. And I, and I looked at it and it was clear as uh, anything material that you can see, I couldn't see through it. I could move where I was and I could look at the Bible. I could, If I was tall enough, I could have looked at the pages. And I'm looking at that thinking, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. This is actually here. And I could have put my hand right through it and yet it would still have been totally opaque in that sense. It was an incredible moment. And as I saw that picture, in my mind, I got a very distinct impression, crystal clear. Reach behind me, get my Bible from the seat, open it up and read out loud the first verse that comes to you. And um, for that to happen, obviously, uh, it was going to need to be a moment of quiet. And the church where I was in, quiet moments don't really often happen. And um, so I'm sitting there pondering and I thought, well, I remember just putting my Bible down. And it was on the floor because I was just literally sitting on that seat a moment ago. So there was no Bible on the seat. So I thought, well, this will be a test. If I turn around and I see the Bible uh, on the seat, then I'll know, okay, this is definitely what I need to be doing. And, uh, and sure enough, I turned around and there was my Bible on the seat where I'd literally just been sitting. So perhaps an angel moved it there. I don't know how that happened. But then I was committed. I had this picture in front of me. It just wasn't going away. I had the Bible on my seat. So I just stepped down. I, I grabbed the Bible. I opened it up and uh, I put my finger on the verse and there it was. And I remember the verse to this day it was Proverbs 10, verse 3. And it was the strangest verse. I thought, there's just no way. This is going to apply to anyone in this room. But it said, the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but thwarts the cravings of the wicked. There it was. And I thought, well, the only way I can read this out is literally if this church goes silent. And the moment I thought it, the music stopped, the worship leader stopped, and we sat uh, in stark silence for 30 seconds, which as I said, never happens. So I just simply had to read this verse out. So at the top of my lungs, Uh, I thought this is going to be the end of any ministry career I have. I read the verse out loud so the whole church could hear it. And then I just sat down and thought, what's going to happen next? And just then the, the preacher who was in front of me, he doesn't say a word, doesn't look behind him and give me a nod, just doesn't do anything. I thought, there I am, I've just blown this whole thing. He gets up on stage and just quietly says, well, I just want to thank God because that verse that was just written out was the only verse that I've decided to preach on today. And so that got people's attention. That's the beginning of revelation. You can bet that every ear in that room for the next hour was prepared to listen to exactly what God was saying, because they all knew there was no connection between uh, me knowing what he was going to preach on. And he began to expound that verse in a way that really landed in the hearts of people, that they could know that the, the wealth of God's provision would never let us down. And so that was a revelation. That was a form of revelation backed up by, we could call a sign and wonder. It was just an amazing moment. Never forgotten it. It's like it happened yesterday for me. This is revelation. This is what the Spirit can do. And often it's because you're in a room full of faith-filled people. and, And so, you know, these things tend to happen more often in those settings. But we need to understand that there's so much about our human life that comes out of our own strength, but when it comes to our spiritual life, our life with God, for God, it's a life through God. It's a life where he plays a part. And Paul is really saying, you need more of this. It's admirable that there's words in your life. There's admirable that there's works in your life. But if you want to do the job that's required of God, that that he mandates for us to live, we're going to need the Spirit's help. We need to learn and grow more about how to live from the Spirit. And so he prays, I pray, I pray, now that you've got all that tucked away, that you would have wisdom and revelation about how to live through the Spirit, that you combine wonder with words and works. And so my prayer today is that as I'm giving you information, God's giving you revelation. I'm praying that he's growing your hope, he's growing your faith, he's growing your desire and determination, that this is actually normal life in the Spirit, that He should be revealing things to us day by day. I know for many of us that's just not the case, but it's something that we can grow. It's something that we should grow and as a fellowship that we can grow. It actually is normal by Scripture's definition for the Spirit to be working through us in a powerful, credible way. And through the community of God's believers, it can be safe as well, not relying on one person's interpretation, but all of us can weigh up together what God's doing and saying. It's a powerful, way to live. It's a kingdom way to live. So I pray that you want to know him better. I pray that your prayer is Paul's prayer, that that you would want to know him better, that through wisdom and revelation, it would lead you into a place where you can say, I know God better. I can epigenosis. I know him dynamically, relationally, moment by moment and day by day. The Spirit of God is available to you more and more to access the wonder of God. Let me pray for you right now. Father, I pray for each one, no matter where they are. Lord, your spirit is everywhere. Your spirit is within them as a deposit, a guarantee of what can be and what can come in our life. So Lord, will you, as as Paul prayed, will you release a spirit of wisdom and revelation? That they would take information and land it in their life, that they would they would gain new insights based on what you reveal to them. Father, I just pray, remove the veils from our minds so that we can hear more clearly your spirit and have faith to follow what you're saying. Let it increase in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you now. See you soon.